children. Now, when we, we talk about First Chronicles, oh yeah, I need to do this, a little programming thing. Going to uh, call an audible here. Because we're in First Chronicles, we're going to go ahead and do Second Chronicles next week. But then we're taking a two-week break from our walk through, well, a three-week break for as we walk through Scripture. Then two weeks following that, the, the uh, 14th and 21st, we're going to do Advent sermons, sermons about the coming of Christ. And then the 28th, originally Josh Graves was supposed to be here and I was supposed to be at Otter Creek, but because he was called out of the country on a special mission trip earlier, he kind of burned his Sundays. And so I'm going to be here on the 28th and we're going to talk about uh, the state of our church, where we're headed, what's going on. We're going to wrap up our year together. So um, you're going to get a three-week break from genealogies. Isn't that exciting? And now, those of you that aren't laughing didn't try to read First Chronicles this week. <laughs> Forgive me if I get a little bit inside baseball on this, but you ought to have expected that if you actually read the book, because the first nine chapters are... Seriously? Why are we starting this book with this? Well, perhaps. There's a very good reason why the writers of, of Chronicles started with genealogy. The book of Kings, which we call First and Second Kings, was not written by a single person at a single time. It was gathered. Uh, there were some supreme editors, such as Ezra, over the book, but it was gathered over time from a variety of sources which it actually names. We'll talk about that in a bit. And it was put into its current form when the people were in captivity in Babylon to explain to them, this is how we got here. We rebelled against God. This is our story. We rebelled against God, and that's why we're in captivity. We need to remember our God and our story. The book of Kings could be summed up as how sin leads to defeat. But the Chronicles were written later for a different purpose. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, the, books, the book of Chronicles, it's one book in their Bible, is the very last book. It is the summation, the wrap-up, away, away from the book of Kings. The people in Chronicles were already in captivity and were being released back in groups, but they were being released back. Now they needed to know who they were. Do you remember, Mom and Dad, when you sent your kids off to college, or you walked one down the aisle, how that nagging feeling is, I don't think I taught him enough. I don't think I said enough. I think I should have shared more. They're unprepared. The book of Chronicles is the book, before you go, you need to hear this. And so they gather this material together. They want to, they want to remind you who you are. Many had lost their identity. You know, think back to the people of Egypt when they were in Egypt in slavery. Do you remember? They'd forgotten their identity. They forgot who God was. Moses had to reintroduce God to them. 300 years, they had forgotten him. Well, this happens again. The Jews need to hear their story, how they got into captivity, why they were allowed to be in captivity, why they are being allowed to return in groups, but still back to Israel. While the message of Kings is sin leads to defeat, the message of Chronicles is faith is the victory. Keep believing and God will give you a victory. And again, it wasn't written by a single person at a single time. 
but its main voice has just been called by historians the chronicler. Ezra was involved, Nehemiah was involved, but most scholars believe now there was somebody else there. They just call them the chronicler. And whoever it was was using sources. Now that, I never heard that talked about when I was going to church, but if you've paid attention, reading Kings and Chronicles, they actually name books that they used that we don't have anymore. For example, in, in uh, 1 Kings 15 and verse 7, it talks about the annals of the kings of Judah. We don't have that. In 2 Chronicles chapter 13, it talks about a book called Annotations of the Prophet Edel. We don't have that one. But they use these to put these books together. But the books aren't the same. If you read 1 Chronicles, and I gave you permission to skip the first nine chapters, or skim them, as long as your eyes travel over the page, God gives you credit. <laughs> and then to read the stories. And if you read it thinking, well, we just read these in the book of Kings. No, you didn't. The stories look the same, but they're not the same because there's a different purpose. Chronicles is a, it's all going to be all right, hopeful message. Kings is, you blew it. For example, in the book of Kings, David is seriously flawed. He commits adultery, he gets lazy, he has military failures, and he's the world's worst parent. And his sons keep trying to take over from their dad. Did you notice in Chronicles, that's not... David's perfect. David's just perfect. Now, what, is this a contradiction? No, it's a different, it's a different purpose for the story. Let's say you gathered around your table last Thursday and you were thinking about telling the kids the story of their great-grandparents that came across here from Poland or from uh, Yugoslavia or from uh, Uruguay or wherever it was. You didn't say, now your great-granddad, he had a drinking problem. Um, and uh, he cheated on your great-grandma several times, but, but he was a good, now he beat his kids. No, you don't do that. See, he came here proudly with five cents in his pocket. Now, where he got five cents in Uruguay? Because um, they don't use cents. But anyway, came up here and he, and he did. We tell the story one way for one purpose and one way for another, don't we? Same story, same person. In fact, I've got to tell you, I don't know why more Americans don't tell your story the Chronicles way. Because far too often, right now, it is the fashion to say, oh, we've had no heroes. All of those people that came before us were terrible people. Don't do that. It poisons everything. Looking at your kids saying, you came from terrible stock. Horrid. Your genetics are flawed. Every one of us were evil people. Best of luck. <laughs> there comes a time to do the Chronicles version. And say, you know... We're giving you an identity to be proud of. This is who you are. These are the people you come from. The same reason that you know, last year for Halloween, we took our two-year-old, made him a kilt, a Jacobite shirt, and gave him blue face paint. <laughs> want you to know who you came from, son. Now, we're not going to tell him about the disemboweling and stuff. That'll come later, all right? That's the point I'm trying to make. 
The chronicler even skips over the years of Egyptian captivity. They're not in there. He skips over the fact that when most of the Israelites were put into Babylonian captivity, a great section of them ran back to Egypt. Did you know that? In fact, the prophet Jeremiah was even taken there against his will. Why? Chronicler doesn't want you to think about Egypt. Chronicler does not want you to even be, think that you might possibly be a little bit Egyptian. You're all Jews from Judah, the people of God. Kings is very negative. Chronicles has a constant message of hope. There's a good example of this. I want you to, to pay attention when you read it. The story of Manasseh, king of Judah. In the book of Kings, he's horrible. Oh my goodness. He is absolutely awful, and he dies outside of the grace of God. In the book of Chronicles, at the very last minute, he repents, and God saves him. Now, which story is true? You know, they're probably both true. He was horrible, then God saved him. But the people in Babylon, captivity, headed back, needed to remember that it's never too late to turn to God. That's a big, important thing to tell your kids. It's never too late turn to God. Sin brings judgment. Forgiveness brings restoration. That's the story. Think about this. Back in the old days, some of you remember, the front seat of a car was a vast plane of plastic. There was no, no console. Nobody knew what a console was. There were no seat belts. Some of your cars came with them because you were rich and they were an option. But you stuffed them down, didn't you? Because they got in the way. Guys loved these cars. On dates, we would only take right-hand turns. We would call those CTMB curves for come to me, baby. Because no matter how hard she's holding that door, you can get enough G-force to break her grip if you only turn right. Well, the story is told, and it's probably just a story, of an older couple driving down the road, and the woman looks over at the man and says, Do you remember when we were first married, how we used to sit right next to each other in the car all the time? Whatever happened to us? The old man drove for a little bit, and he goes, um, I didn't move. Okay. The book of Chronicles is God saying, I didn't move. Sin sets you apart. You, if you worship me and love me, you're right back. I'll take you. That's the message of Hosea, which we'll get to. I'll take you no matter what. Just worship me. And so the book of Chronicles has to teach them how to worship God. And did you notice something? It's not Leviticus. In Leviticus, it was form, 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 form. In Chronicles, it's spirit, joy, noise. God talks to them time and again, make noise. Let them be... You know, I, when I see my grandkids, I don't want them to go... Oh, Granda, it is so good to be with you today. 
in this special time we have. No, are you kidding? I want stuff to be flying because they're running into it on the way, making noise and jabbering as they hit me. God wants it too. In the book of Chronicles, he says, run, let's go. Let's get back together. If the people remembered who they were and obeyed God, they'd be saved, restored to the land. Listen to this. This is kind of important. They would need, they would have to order their lives as people of God if they wanted to stay in God's grace. Now, I don't feel comfortable doing this next bit because it, it seems like I'm, um, I'm kind of like when Paul says, I hate to bring this up because it sounds like bragging. People talk to Cammie and I all the time about it is so obvious you love each other. How do you do that? The answer is you never stop. When you see each other, you smile. When you pass each other, you say, excuse me. When somebody does the smallest thing for you, you say thank you and smile, and you never stop. That's how you do it. And God is saying, order your life around the fact that you're in, in a relationship with me. So that every penny, every meal, every prayer, every trip, I'm there. You need to order your life around who you are and who God is. That's why David and Solomon are presented in these books as pure and perfect. It's not a history, it's a sermon. It's a sermon to, to motivate the people. The past was co-opted to serve the needs of the present. And here, we have a call. A call for people to follow only those who are the anointed ones, the leaders of God's people. There is a myth, and I love America, you know I do, but there is a myth in America that you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. I cannot be an NBA player. I've had people say, but if you'd started young, and if you... <laughs> no. No. I could not be a special forces operator. You yell attack, and I'll just have one. <laughs> That's not who I am. There are limitations. And the idea that we can make our own way and decide for ourselves what's right and wrong is what got Adam and Eve in trouble and what gave us the book of Judges. If you remember, the horrible stories in Judges end with everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You need leadership. That's why it's important we pick the right people to be shepherds. That's why it's important you pick the right people to be your pulpit minister. I know, now he tells you. It was a year ago this week that I came here to preach for you for the first time. Didn't move here yet. Just came over to let you know I'm on my way, basically. It's been a great year for us. Don't much care about what it's been for you. Um, <laughs> of course we do. But I have the only job, the only job description God ever wrote that comes with a warning. Don't let many of you be teachers. You're going to get a harsher condemnation. Isn't that interesting? 
The only one that God ever gave with a warning. And then he tells the group, be careful how you treat your leaders. Don't make it hard on your leaders. That's why he starts with Adam. He goes all the way to the last Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, is Christ. And he says, anybody who points to God and his leaders is elevated in the book of Chronicles. And Samuel and kings and Levites are mentioned a grand total of three times. The Levites were the leaders in worship. In Chronicles, they're mentioned all the time. They're central to the plot. Because now worship will hold you together. Worship, uh, I think Mark Duckworth does a fantastic job for us. Absolutely fantastic. And I, yes, you can, you can say amen. Yeah. But it's a difficult place. It is a lightning rod position. It absolutely is. The only way to do it right is to make everybody equally unhappy. And yet God says, you don't come to critique worship, you come to join in. You don't come to critique leadership, you go to support them. That's constant through this book. Cynicism is cheap. Sarcasm is cheap. Requires no thought to go, yeah, right, or I don't think so, or I'm suspicious. That takes no thought at all. It takes thought and work to join the group. And the chronicler is saying, there's no reason for you to even go back to Judah unless you're going to stay with the group. All the way through chapter 12, we get a list of names and what part they played, and I love it. I know it seems boring, but there's a reason. They needed to understand a couple of things. Who they were, and that everybody has a place. I have a book. The book is called Scott's Kith and Ken. All it is is a list of names. Somebody comes up to me and goes, I think I'm Scottish. My last name is, and they'll give a last name. We can go to the book, pull it out, and show if it's in the book, the first time it shows up in Scotland and where. That list is important. Which clan it belongs to. Uh, Tennessee, clan means children group. <laughs> Spelled with a C. We don't even have the letter K in the Gaelic alphabet. Seriously, we don't. Um, we, we get by with 16 letters. <laughs> you guys just flinging letters. Anyway, the, um, the, um, a lot of our extra consonants evidently went to uh, Slovakia. Because uh, they have lots of them, I've noticed. Anyway, don't distract me. I, we put on our tartan, that plaid, and there's almost no red in it, just a hint of red. It's almost all blue and dark green. Why? Because it means we were soldiers. That's what we've always been. That's our, that's our family. Then you'll see others with the big red and gold. What does that mean? Royalty. That's what that means. Every color means something. You come from somewhere and God wired you somehow and he needs you. I may go off script here and I'm trying not to. In the New Testament, you see the list of gifts like in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. 
But then God brings us all together in Galatians 3.28. We are all now no more male and female, no Jew nor Gentile, not slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't mean we're all the same. He brings the giftedness in. For many years, Protestants were fearful of any beauty. When Isaac Watts wrote his songs like When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, roundly criticized, churches would have nothing to do with his songs for a hundred years because they were too pretty. And we're not here to be entertained. Have you heard that before? No, I, you think of Oliver Cromwell or you think of, um, of, uh, of any of the early Calvinists, John Knox in particular, entering churches and destroying the statues, the paintings, and the stained glass because God wants everything to be stark and he wants everything to be serious. Really? Have you seen what he's made? He seems rather playful in creation. Terrible as well, but playful. Highly artistic. What I'm trying to say is this. You're welcome here. If you're an artist or if you're a soldier, if you're a poet, if you're contemplative, if you're prone to depression, or if you're happy all the time, you're welcome here. Chronicles teaches the Jews everybody has a place at God's table. Everybody. We don't honor one above the other because they are all embraced by God. So in Psalm 73, verses 27 and 28, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Well, I'll start with this. I, I was doing my own thing. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Scoot over. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Get close. Be a part of the family. Live the role given to you. I would submit to you that if God called you to dig ditches, it is a demotion to become president. If God called you to, to paint or to write music, it is a demotion to write software and become a billionaire. Do what God called you to do. And as a church, we need to honor it and give place to it. Find a place, a way to honor the gifts of the people here. An example of this is, well, let me, let me back up. There are many examples in Chronicles of God saying yes. And there are other times where people say, oh, I know what my gift is. And God goes, no, that's not it. In Chronicles, we get an example of this in the life of David. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, we're going to read his response in a bit. But do you remember what he asked for? He says, I want, to build, I want to build the house of worship for you. And God goes, no, because you're a man of blood. Now think about this for a minute. Who made David a man of blood? God did. Who told him to go kill that person? God did. And now he says, I want to build your house. And God goes, you're not qualified. You're a person of blood. And some people have looked at that and said, wait a minute, that's not fair. No, you're not getting it. God elevates the warrior as well as the builder. 
but he doesn't want the warrior to try to be the builder. Or the builder, the warrior. No, David, that's not your gift. You go into churches in Scotland, and I know I'm mentioning Scotland too much today. I know it's 150th anniversary of a, a major battle that took place here. I know that because yesterday we kept hearing cannon fire in Spring Hill. And we, I went online and found out it was a reenactment of the Battle of Spring Hill. And then I felt really bad about returning fire all afternoon. <laughs> I'm aware you have your history, I've got my history, and they intertwine. But you go into a Scottish church, many of them will have military banger, banners hanging from the rafters. Those are the military units that fought for that particular faith in the inter-religious wars of Scotland, of which there were many. Stories told probably didn't happen, but I love the story of a wee boy taken to church and he sits in a grand cathedral and he sees those banners. He leans over to his mummy and he goes, what are those? And she goes, those are in honor of the men who died in the service. The preacher goes on a bit and the boy bumps her again. Was that the morning service or the evening service? <laughs> There's a point to the story. We should never conflate nationalism with our religion. We have to be very careful that we separate our loyalty to, to anything else and put it below our loyalty to God. And therefore, we do. You know, I, I was asked at one church that I served, it's Veterans Day, can we have a march of flags? And I said, no. I, nobody in this room should ever doubt my, my love for veterans. And my family's full of them, father, son, and just keep going from there. But this, we separate the gifts, and you have to be able to hear the word no. David heard the word no. How good at you hearing the word no? By the way, teens, that's one of the signs you know when you've grown up is when you can hear the word no and not get upset, but say, got it then you know you've grown up. Because believe it or not, adults get that all the time. We're at work and we're going, I don't want to be here, can I go? No, gotcha. <laughs> we hear the word no. God asks, can you hear the word no? The fighting men of valor, they're there. The artists are there. The priests are there. The people are there. All of them valued. All of them gathered. There is a place for you in this church. But if your faith is really weak, welcome. What if you're struggling with a sexual sin or an addiction of some sort? Or Welcome. This is where you need to be. Scoot over. Get close to God. Our weapons that we fight with here aren't flags and guns and cannons anymore, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, these weapons we have, have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take it captive, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, what, what are these weapons? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. We need more than a war. We need more than a job. I know I'm kind of going on a bit here. And, but here, there are no connection groups. So no matter what happens, you still beat the Baptist to the restaurants. Keep hope alive. We need more than a war. We need more than a job. We need worship. And that's why in Chronicles, singing is emphasized. First Chronicles 29 14 through 17, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Giving is worship. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were our ancestors. Our day on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. All of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity when it all comes together. Integrity. We worship our God. We give. I want to mention giving for just a minute. Don't turn off your brain. This is positive. We have planned a budget for a little bit more growth numerically than we've got at present. I'm not disappointed, though. I believe God's doing great things in this church. That said, I, w I need to compliment you. The per-person giving at this church is very good, very high. Are we covering all of our budget? No, we're not. And if you want to give extra before December 31st when the tax man draws the curtain... Yay! But I'm not going to beat you about the head and shoulders and say you're not doing what you, you're doing great. But not only are you giving, you're also giving in worship. You're learning new songs. Now, if you don't like new songs, you're going to hate heaven. Because in Revelation, he constantly says, and they sang in heaven a new song. And there aren't three verses afterwards saying, and the people went, Really? We like the old songs. God even says, I will make all things new. And I bet there were people there going, hey, no, no, new. God is a God of change. In Chronicles, he says, sing, sacrifice, giving, pray. That's how you scoot over. In giving, singing, worship, praise, prayer, and you're also going to need some gatekeepers. You're going to need men and women that help you keep your eyes and your passions and your ideas on Jesus. Sometimes people are very kind and they'll come to me and they'll say, I saw what you had to do there. I'm really sorry you have to do things like that. In other words, to, to meet a problem. That's why I'm here. Um, I don't have Mark's gifts. I don't have... Albert's gifts. There are many days that the only way I'm able to do my job is I know Albert's praying for me. He does his gift, I'll do my gift. You need gatekeepers. 
You need shepherds to say, no, this is our flock. We have a leash law for the mind. Are you aware of that? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's your leash law for the brain. I have to remember that all the time because in my head, you know, it's, you know, kill them all. And God will say, no. And I'll say, in Christian love. And it goes, no. <laughs> Get yourself under control. Be a better man. Gatekeepers help us to not let the things of God be spoiled by the things outside. Learn to love the word no. It can be a good one. If somebody goes, would you like some sugar on your beans? No. Salt in your coffee? No. Why? Because sometimes the thing that's inside, you want to protect from the things that are outside. That's why I'll never eat beets. Because beets come with the purple radioactive sauce. And there's nothing you can do. It's going to get through. Even in a Tupperware. Exhibit A. Why you should never eat that stuff. And I say that as a Scotsman, and I, I'm ashamed to say this, but in Scotland, beets are looked upon as a treat. I don't get it either. But then again, I just moved here, and you guys had barbecue stuff downstairs and a big dinner, and you said, come down here and eat and enjoy. I walk in, and there are greens. We don't eat greens in Scotland. In fact, any turnip greens, we don't have collards. Not sure I'd recognize one if it ran up to me. But we, those are fed to the cows. <laughs> and so are pumpkins. Now, my wife taught me how to love pumpkin pie. But we tried to introduce that into Scotland. Not going to happen. Which is a shame, because hers is so good. If you got a little bit of it here, your tongue would beat your brains out trying to get to it. <laughs> but that's, i got to wrap this up. Amen. You have places to be. Uh, he'd like to see his children again. God has brought us home. And in Chronicles, he says, now that you're home, I want you to be equipped, alert, and engaged with each other and with him. That's the message of Chronicles. And he did the same thing when he brought us around the tables. I want you to be equipped, alert, active, and engaged. So be alert, be active, equipped. Everybody has a place here. Everybody has a job here. Would you stand with me as we eventually will bring this to a close? If you think you're minor, remember the old poem, and the use of the word want here means lack of. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. And for want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. You may just be a horseshoe nail, but God has called you to play a place in his kingdom. 
Everyone has the promise that God has made throughout human history. Turn to him and he will turn to you. If you're outside of the faith, you turn in faith and in baptism. If you're inside the faith, you scoot back over where you belong. Embrace him and you become a part of his story as he tells the history of God at work, the New Chronicles.